Well, as you probably surmised from the announcements I had earlier and all the uh, calling for new staff members, you realize that we've been kind of busy around here trying to fill church positions. And I hopefully uh, describe for you adequately uh, the process uh, by which we are able to find uh, other teachers and pastors. But it still requires that we come up with a, a description of what we want them to do. Well, I found this description of a church that was looking for a pastor. They said the ideal pastor would be one who preaches exactly 10 minutes. <laughs> Ain't going to happen here. <laughs> he condemns sin, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight and also serves as the church janitor. He makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, and donates $30 a week back to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. He makes 15 house calls a day and is always in his office. Well, as you probably figured out, that church had a hard time finding somebody to fit that description. So a bit frustrated, uh, the congregation chairman came before the church and, and said, a pastor has submitted his name for consideration. And here's the description he gives of himself. Dear church members, I am writing to apply for position as your pastor. My experience is more along the lines of evangelist, but I believe I could fill your position adequately. Now, I've never attended any Bible school per se, but I have a lot of field experience. I don't have a degree on my wall, or for that matter, I don't even have a wall, I've traveled around most of my life, renting and doing odd jobs to support myself and preaching wherever I was invited, churches, streets, even jails. As a matter of fact, I've been thrown in jail several times and been involved in a few public squabbles. I've been accused of being anti-Semitic, anti-authority, and causing disturbances almost everywhere I go, but... I did have a few conversions to Christianity during my ministry, as well as a few healings. So thank you for considering my application. Well, the congregation was quite beside themselves when they heard that. And they said, there's no way we want that guy. Who is he anyway? And the congregation chairman said, his name is Apostle Paul. Sometimes church leaders don't admit uh, meet our perfect description. And yet there is all this work to do. How are we going to get it done? The answer is by all of us. As we are going through uh, looking at how the resurrection has changed our life, we want to note today how that resurrection makes us ready to serve that risen shepherd. The Apostle Paul, after he gave this beautiful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection, gives us this encouragement. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, sometimes when we read Bible passages, we kind of pass over words to get to the main point of this passage. But 
All of those words were put there by the Holy Spirit for us to look at. And I'd like to call your attention to that very first line. When he addresses these words to the brothers and sisters. This passage sometimes is used to encourage pastors and teachers as they're starting their ministry. But notice Paul wasn't talking to just pastors and teachers. He said brothers and sisters. He was talking to everybody sitting in the pew. Us. All of us. And that little word, therefore, was so important too. Because, as I've often taught you, whenever you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? Why is it there? It's always pointing you back to what he had just said. And we can look back at chapter 15 and see how we have an important message to proclaim. A message that is absolutely true. Let me summarize with a few of his words what he said that message is. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Paul tells us of first importance that Jesus died. Now, most people would probably say, okay, well, so what? Everyone dies. But Paul tells us the cause and the purpose for his death, for our sins, according to the scriptures. This was the justice of God. Now, if you think about it, the justice of God doesn't sound very just, though, does it? Here was a man who was absolutely innocent, 100% perfect in everything he did. He never, ever sinned. And the justice of God punishes him as the worst of all sinners, as the sinner of every sinner. Is that just? In God's book, it is just and merciful and loving because he did not want to punish us. So he punished his son instead. So you and I are forgiven of all of our sins. That's the gospel, Paul said. That's the good news. God loves us and will not damn us. And there's more good news. Paul said, and that Jesus was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If you have any doubt that Jesus was the Savior, if you have any doubt about your own forgiveness, look at the empty grave. He raised Jesus to show us the sacrifice was made to pay for all sins. He lives and you will live. So Paul goes on to prove the resurrection of Jesus and its benefit to you and me. And he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. The resurrection of Jesus changes us from being mortal and perishable to being immortal and imperishable. That's God's promise. Now sometimes when people die, the statement is made, oh, they, they lost their battle with whatever the cause of death was. But Paul tells us there's no losing. He says, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That even in death, God is bringing us victory as he changes us to be immortal and imperishable. That's the good news. That's the message you and I have. And we stand firm on. It's a message also that needs to be heard by everyone. The other day, uh, there was a commercial on the TV. It talked about a a woman who lost her job. Uh, she was uh, like a line worker in a process line, and uh, she was replaced by technology. So now what is she gonna do? Well, she goes off to school and gets retrained. And, and the point, and I don't know what it was advertising as far as a company, but the point of the commercial was reinvent yourself for a changing world. You know, I think we all recognize how the world has changed and, and new skills and, and knowledge is needed to be successful. But there are two things in this world that haven't changed. Sin and our need for a savior and the truth that we have a savior that has changed us. Those things haven't changed. Paul says that the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have as a message to proclaim. So when Paul says, I'm sharing with you what's of prime importance, that's the message we stand on. And that's why he urged us then to be faithful to that message and not to be moved away from it. And I'm sure you would all say, amen, pastor, we will not be moved from that. Sad reality is, though, sometimes people are. Let me make a little comparison. I'm sure you all know what it means to eat healthy. Do you do it? There are those times when we are just tempted, you know, by a little bit of this and a little bit of that, or maybe we'll say, you know what, I'm just fine if I keep doing this because it isn't going to matter. The same thing happens spiritually, unfortunately. We are tempted by something else. We, we hear things that maybe sound more appealing or make more sense to us. And we depart from that firm stand on the scriptures. You know, Christianity is the only religion that teaches that your God came into this world and died for you to save you and give you eternal life. And yet, sadly, even within some Christian circles, that truth is denied. The resurrection of Christ is denied. And instead, they've replaced it with just live a good life and you'll be saved. God help us to stand firm and immovable on that only truth 
that saves. A truth that everyone needs to hear. But Paul put some interesting questions out there to the Roman Christians he was writing to about that truth and people needing to know it. He wrote, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? What he's simply saying is, how can people believe if they don't hear it? We have that message to proclaim, and that means we have a mission to do. He said, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We have a mission to accomplish. Notice what he said, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Not the work of the world. We haven't been called to make the world a better place, to make society perfect. We've been called to do the work of the Lord. What is that work? After St. Mark told us about the glorious resurrection of Jesus, he finished that chapter out with this commission that Jesus gave his followers. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The work of the Lord is simply this, to proclaim and to teach the word of the Lord. I heard a, a report on the news the other day about a study that was done over 10 years uh, asking people what, what are the most serious concerns facing our world today? And they noted how concern for the environment has risen to the top, especially among the young people. Now that's, that's good that we are concerned about the world that God has given us. But I wondered where they would rate concern for not just the planet Earth, but the people of the Earth. For Jesus told us not to save the planet, but to save the people. And that's what we are to do. We reflected in our church's mission statement to know the grace of God and to grow in faith, love, and service so we can go out with the gospel. That's what we are to do. Now, as I, I mentioned before, in our church body, there's a shortage of pastors and teachers right now. And so we also have to be active in encouraging young people to consider the ministry so that this shortage can go away and there will be more people in our classrooms and in our pulpits. And in the meantime, you and I are to be about the ministry of the church, simply following the guidance of the Lord. Sometimes people ask me, well, what does your church do? Do you feed the hungry? Do you help the homeless? Do you do this or that? And I always answer with the simple words that Jesus gave us. We teach the gospel. We tend and feed his sheep. Now, God has given us many opportunities, and there are different ways for us to do that. We just need to be faithful in proclaiming that word. Sometimes we try to measure our success or our work by looking at numbers. We have to remember, however, that the work of the Lord is in people's hearts. And we can't, all, we can't see people's hearts. We can see the fruit, but we can't see people's hearts. So the work of the Lord, the work of the Spirit, is invisible to the human eye. 
So let's be careful not to get hung up with numbers. Let's not focus on stats. Let's focus on the tasks that God said to do. He didn't say count my sheep. He said feed and tend my sheep. That's a spiritual work. And it needs to be undergirded with love. The Apostle Paul spoke some interesting words in 1 Corinthians 13, which I'm going to read for you here from the Passion Translation, in which he is saying, look at all the the fancy, flashy things you could do. But if I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging syllable, symbol. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned to feed the poor, and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Always give yourselves fully with love to the work of the Lord. So you might be thinking, okay, what should I do? First, ask. If you don't mind me paraphrasing President Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church and your Lord. What does God want me to do? Where does he want me to start? Then listen for the opportunities. And then look at the gifts that God has given you, your talents. And if you're unsure of how that might fit into the ministry of the church, see me and I'll give you what we call a a spiritual gift analysis. It's a little survey you take to find out what are your talents and abilities and where they fit into the ministry of the church. Because we have a mission to accomplish. And it's not mission impossible either. Oh, it might be hard because the words Paul even used there when he talked about work and labor was words that meant this is hard and this is toil. It's not always easy. In fact, that word always is an important word to remember too. Here's a statement I pulled out of a Bible commentary about that word always. Always means in youth and in age, in pleasant as well as in somber days, when many work with us and the work is a joy, and when we plod alone with heavy hearts, when we have already done much, and when others have done scarcely anything, always. And what will help are these words of the Lord, who said, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He gives us a promise to sustain us in this work. What are we to do? How can we do it? Let's remember his promise, as we heard earlier from the uh, reading in Hebrews. He has equipped us. He said, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will 
and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God will give us what we need. He will equip us. He will never ask us to do anything that he has not equipped us to do. But let's also remember, it won't be the hard work we do or the perfect plan that we have laid out, which God always seems to change on us anyway. It's his working that will bless what we do. Isaiah gave that beautiful promise, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We have a beautiful message to proclaim. We have a mission to accomplish, and we have a promise to sustain us. So the Apostle Paul reminds us, here's what you should think about yourself and about those people sitting next to you. You ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. And when we do our work, then Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And our reply will simply be, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We're ready to serve a risen Savior. May God bless us. Amen.